Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge. You can reach us at Agco. You can get right in touch with us. 225 is that number if you want to try to give us a shot from out of town. And I see we've got a whole bunch of calls already holding. Let's go to our lines. We've got Mark's been patiently holding. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, guys. How you doing? It's doing Mark great. From, from London, England. Hey, Mark. Oh, how wow. you doing, young man? Yeah, good, good. Um, Lewis, I just wanted to thank you for your answers to my emails recently. It was really, really helpful. Thank you for that. Well, good deal. Did you get a car selected? Yeah, yeah. I got the Lexus in the end. Um, I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions about it, because I think when I asked you about it, you said it was a nice car, but it has some expensive things that can go wrong. Correct. Yeah, I was wondering if you could uh, just tell me what a few of those things are. Well, there's variable cam timing on that engine that's been a little bit problematic, and I don't want to alarm you for no reason. It's not like it gives trouble on every single one, but they do have some trouble with those. You have to change the cam sprockets on them. There's also a couple of solenoids that can go bad. Not a that, lot of trouble is, with it, but occasionally. Is that true on the chain-driven engines? Yes, all your variable cam timing is going to be the chain-driven ones. All the later model ones have chains on them, and that's the ones where they went to the variable cam timing. just allows them to tune more things on the engine, gives you more power, gives you better economy and all that, but at the expense of being a fairly sophisticated system. But if you keep the oil changed frequently and use a good oil filter, you can kind of hedge your bet. Yeah, I yeah. would not go with Toyota's recommendation on no, that. not at all. I think they say you can go, I don't know, eight, ten thousand 10,000 miles. I would base my oil changes on my usage. And I would go towards the lower side for sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, how much life do you think I'll get out of the gearbox on average? Is it automatic? Yeah, yeah. We really don't yeah. see much trouble with them, Mark. I would probably recommend servicing that properly about every 50,000 miles. I think Toyota says you can go 100, but I like to do them around 50. And yeah. on the ones we've been changing out, the fluid and filter at 50, I have seen virtually no failures. Oh, that's good. Well, I mean, I got the car at 77,000, and as far as I know, it's never been changed. So I Probably hasn't. Yeah, I did it the other day, and the guy showed me the liquid that came out of it. It was dark brown, but yes. hopefully it's going to yes. be okay, and I've changed it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and when they say you can go 100, that's predicated on a service life of 100,000 miles, not keeping it much beyond that. Well, the book says you should never change it. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, because they were trying to sell new cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I've heard you say that before. You know, it's the life of the transmission. When the oil's burned up, that's it. <laughs> that's exactly right. All right, man. Well, I'll let you get to your other callers. So, uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Okay, Mark. Thanks for calling, man. All right, guys. Have a nice day. Uh, Thank bye-bye. you. There you go. If you can call from London, England, you can that's go, it, huh? darn sure call from anywhere else. <laughs> no excuses. <laughs> and we've got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, fellas. Uh, I got a motor oil question myself. Uh, okay. I've been using Mobile One high mileage oil for 2011 Nissan, mm-hmm. around a half. And I go to sort of buy more oil, and all I see nowadays, all I see is full synthetic. Right. Is the full synthetic, the Mobile One full synthetic, is that compatible? I didn't want to put something in and have yeah. issues. Yeah, it's the exact same thing. The, the whole description of synthetic and semi synthetic and conventional is in a real state of flux right now mike and i think it's more a matter of semantics you would be hard put to find any oil that doesn't claim to be synthetic now uh, i know <laughs> yeah they i don't know it's so confusing and they say they're trying to make it simpler for people all they're doing is making it more confusing and there's virtually any oil that meets a certain standard can be called synthetic now regardless of what it's made of right so even if it's fossil oil or it's a man-made product 
you know, it doesn't matter. It's all called synthetic pretty much now. All that signifies that it meets a certain standard, be it GL4 or SN for API. It just means the oil is up to a certain standard, but it's very confusing to people. But, yeah, if it says Mobile One on there, fully synthetic, that's going to be the same as all your other stuff. As far as the high mileage oils and all that kind of stuff, I think that's really more marketing than it is something really a lot different with the oil. It probably has a few extra additives or something, but we've always right. interchanged the regular Mobile One with the high mileage with absolutely no – and maybe I'll get a guy from Mobile One on the uh, show one day to give me a better explanation because – I know a guy that works for Mobile One pretty well. He's he's a he's a listener to the show, so maybe I can get him to come on the show one time. Well, there you go. Well, I appreciate it. that's what I needed to know. All right, Mike. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye bye. Mm, bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you only part of the automotive, I we'd love to have you. And we got Bob online. Good morning, Bob. Morning, Lewis. This is Bob. We're going to have our open car show. The Antique Car Club's putting it on, but it's open till all cars, muscle cars, street rides, everything. It'll be Sunday. March 11th, this is Sunday, mm-hmm. our spring car show, ninth annual, and uh, it's in conjunction with the 16th annual Baton Rouge Spring Garden Show and Arts and Crafts Fair, Okay. the 12th annual Kiwanis Nationally Sanctioned Louisiana State Chili Cook-Off. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> Where's it being held, Bob? It's at the Parker Coliseum. Out of LSU. Uh, registration, if you're entering a car, it's $25. Mm-hmm. Spectators are free. And registration is from, it says officially 9 till noon. We give out awards around 2 o'clock. Okay. People start getting there around 8 to register. So. Yeah, that's what I said. The normal listener of the show is probably not going to have a car to enter, but if he just wants to go see a bunch of cool cars, when should he get there? Probably get there around 10 to 12. Okay. And most of them should be registered by then and in spread out all over the place. Right. And, of course, there's no charge to the public just to go by and look at the cars and eat the chili and <laughs> hopefully the uh, weather is going to be good we, it just keeps changing on the predictions so. well there you go if you don't like it just wait around a couple minutes it'll change <laughs> okay just wanted to let you know all right mr bob and i know your big holiday is coming up next weekend that's st patty's day huh oh yes I <laughs> my, green, my green shirt on already <laughs> <laughs> i know you come by the shop every year with <laughs> a green shirt on <laughs> St. Patrick's, yes. Right, there you go. All right, Miss Bible, thanks for calling, man. Okay, thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number of you on part of the Automotive Hour. Of course, it's Mr. Bob McCarron. Right. With a name like McCarron, you know, you can't wonder uh, why. Yeah, exactly, huh? <laughs> but that is his holiday. Sure. Is St. Patty's Day. You know, mine has always kind of been, I guess, Mardi Gras. Right. I'm a Mardi Gras kind of guy. But he generally comes by the shop every year with a big old green shirt or a green yep. tie or something. <laughs> But, yeah, if you want to go by and see some cool cars, that's out at Parker Coliseum at LSU. Right, on the cam- LSU campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something nice to see. You spend your Sunday afternoon. If it's it's not storming. Yeah. <laughs> if it is, just bring an umbrella. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, last week, and I guess the time before that, we were talking a little bit about buying a used car, and I don't think we totally covered the topic. So I thought we'd talk just a little bit more about that and then maybe branch on to other things from there. But Sure. One of the things that I get a lot of calls on, and it seems like there's this old urban urban myth, wives' tale, that just won't die, and that is you want a little old lady's car, be it a 10, 12, 14, 16-year-old car with with real low miles, 20,000 miles on it. And that is a car that you should really avoid. 
you know, when you're buying a used car, what you want is the newest car in years that you can afford. Sure. And miles are really a lot less important. And the reason that I say that is there are two things that are going to decrease the value of a car for you, which Mm -hmm. means you can get a better deal. Right. One is high mileage. High mileage will lower the value of a car. Drastically. For instance, if you've got a 2012 model car with 40,000 miles and a 2012 model car identical with 80,000 miles, the 80,000-mile car is going to be far less expensive than the other because yes, people is. tend to think miles. And that, well, that's the way they're rated. Yeah, and that's how they rate cars. So if you have so much money to spend, what you always want to do is buy the latest model and really don't worry too much about the miles. I mean, unless it's got 200,000 well, miles. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a 500,000 miles. Right, there's a, a, there's a top limit there. But if you can get say, a 2013 with 100,000 miles, I would prefer that over a 2008 with 50,000 miles. Sure. Although the price may be similar, you know, because the miles bring one down and then... And the age brings the other one down. Right. So the age is generally going to be the thing that affects things that you can't readily repair. Mm-hmm. For instance, I can repair... A belt tensioner i can repair spark plugs i can repair all these things that miles affect right the things that time affects are things like interior starts falling apart because it breaks down over time the plastic, vinyl goes out the, the dash cracks, brittle. the bushings in the front end go bad parts tend to gum up when they're not used shock absorbers go bad so a car with unusually low mileage generally has way more problems along those lines sure. than a car with higher mileage. Let's see if we can catch a couple more of these calls for the break. We right. got Chris online. Good morning, Chris. Hey, Lewis. Yes, sir. Hey, I got a 06 half-ton Chevrolet four-wheel drive with some stock size all-terrain tires on it. Mm-hmm. And it's been, I'm trying to wear them out. They're about three quarters worn. Mm-hmm. And I went and had a had this shimmy for a while, right around the 63 to 68 mile per hour yes, range, mm-hmm. and had the tire balanced, mm-hmm. and got back out on the road, and it does the same thing. Yeah. Anything Eric, else I can look at? Well, tons and tons of things, but you probably need to run your hand, Chris, on the tread of that tire, and make sure it's not full of bumps and lumps, because all-terrain tires are designed to run in mud, and they do a very good job on that. But unfortunately, most of the time, they're running on concrete. And the things that make them good in mud make them absolutely horrible for concrete. And they tend to wear, if it's got a block-cut tread like most all-terrains have, it tends to wear in spots, which makes the tire rough and out around, and then it bounces down the road. You're going to get that shake around 60 miles an hour. And no amount of balance is going to fix that. Correct. You can balance. I mean, I can balance a square block. It's just not going to roll very smoothly down the road. I've seen some bad ones, and these aren't that bad. Mm -hmm. But they're also... I don't know what the guy was thinking. They're load range E on a half ton truck. That's going to make that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's going to make it inordinately rougher ride because a ten ply tire and the amount of air you've got to carry to inflate those ten plies is going to make that truck ride horrible. So you'd be yeah. way better with a P metric or at least, I mean, at most a C rated tire. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm you know, just that, trying to wear them down, but yeah, it sounds like I really need to get rid of them. Yeah, and now what you might just try, Chris, is. When it's vibrating at 63 miles an hour, try accelerating through the range and see if it changes. Try decelerating back through the range and see if it, it changes. Maybe even get above the range. Kick it neutral at coast down through that range. If none of that affects the vibration, then most likely it is a wheel tire issue. If it gets 
better when you do that than you could be into like a drive line issue. You can have something like a drive shaft, although usually that'll shake at a lower speed, but you never know for certain. But yeah. there, I mean, we could talk for days and days and days about things that could be, but well, and and the problem you got now is it's shaking and it's also tearing the front end up mm-hmm. because that tire yeah. is not rolling smoothly, so it's just beating the the snot out of all the bushings and the rack and everything else that's in it. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, this you, one's got mechanical linkage; it's all tight right now. But yeah, yeah, we'll, I don't yeah. Keep it like this four wheel drive. Well, and what happens? See, the reason it shakes at sixty three, it's really shaking from probably twenty miles an hour on up. It's just the front end is absorbing it. And what will happen yeah. if you continue to drive it, it'll come down to 60, then 55, and then 50. That's the feeling of your front end wearing out. You know, cause yeah. it, it's just like beating on all those tie rods and all. Eventually, it's going to end up tearing it up. But I understand trying to get the most life out of it you can. The only other thing that you could just try to get some insight, have you tried rotating the tires front to back? Oh, yeah. Does it affect it at all? several times. Does it affect it at all? Does it get better or no. worse? No, no, well, cha- no change at all. If the front, if the back tires are in the same shape, the front tires yeah. are in from being rotated so much. You're yeah. probably not going to get any change at you all. You may not get a change. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. the only other way to be absolutely certain it's a tire problem is if you got get a buddy with a truck similar, maybe just temporarily swap the tires over and see, oh, yeah. you know, even just the fronts. Yeah, or just the fronts and see if at least it'll distinctly change. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's something easy that you can do without a lot of equipment. True. Yeah, I could try that. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you're making it sound like I just need to get rid of these tires. Yeah, that yeah. would be your best bet. I mean, yeah. overall, it's going to probably cost you more to keep them than it would to get rid of them. True. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. All right, Chris. All right, Thanks, man. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to try to sneak one more call in for our break. Good morning, David. What can we do for you? Good morning, gentlemen. I have a 2005 Tahoe. Mm-hmm. And it seems like almost every morning I drive about two miles and the Titan filler cap light comes on. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, is that just the filler cap or is that something else? That it could possibly be, David, but more likely on that one. Well, let me give you a few real common scenarios. One is what they call the evaporative vent solenoid. They're absolutely notorious for going out. I mean, we change those things daily i mean it's just a real real problematic part gm's redesigned it a couple of times i don't know if they ever not, got it right not much avail but it'll set the same thing because it's venting when it shouldn't so it's allowing air into the tank which makes it think oh, okay. that the cap is bad one of or two other things one is the purge solenoid can do the same thing uh, i generally change vent and purge at the same time because the purge is pretty inexpensive and it's easy to change the last thing is, in that year range, they had a problem with the gas tanks cracking on those vehicles. At one time, it was under recall for that. You'd have to have a smoke test to detect that. That's where you fill the tank and everything with smoke, and you can see it coming out through the crack because it's hard to spot oh, okay. the crack. But I know they had problems with those gas tanks cracking, and there was a recall. I don't know if it's still open, but you might just have a shop check that for you. Because if it is leaking there and it's still under recall, that's a very expensive repair you may be able to get done free. Oh, great. Okay. I like, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Okay, man. All right. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take our first little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. I'm off to AGCO for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at AGCO can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. 
Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I, I mean vehicle. Uh, improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. We were talking a little bit about buying a used car and sure. the advantage of buying a car with higher mileage relative to the years, mm-hmm. as opposed to the classic little old ladies' car. Not to stereotype anybody, but the cars that sit a lot. You, know, you and I both have restored a number of cars. Oh yeah, in our lifetimes, and when you find those cars that have been sitting up like that. If you're doing a full restoration, it doesn't matter too much because you're stripping everything off anyway and you're going through every component. Right, right. you're going to start over. But yeah. if you're looking to buy something to drive, mm-hmm. that's not the car you want. No, absolutely not. What happens, say with a transmission, if it just sits, it tends to gum up. The fluid gets nasty. Sure. The moisture and stuff, separation of the fluid starts tacking the metal, those sorts of things. The shock absorbers sit in one position. That piston etches into the bore. So that when you do start driving it, it gets a little leak internally and it starts to leak. The brake system is usually so moisture contaminated because it's, it's just sat there. It's eating everything up mm-hmm. inside. Lines, hoses, cylinders, calipers, all that is in bad shape by that well, time. even engines, because what protects the engine is the oil has dispersants in it that will absorb moisture. When you crank your car up and it's cold... It's a piece of cold metal that gets hot, and you turn it off, and it gets cold again. Well, you know what happens, sure. particularly in South Louisiana with the high humidity when a piece of metal gets hot and cold is moisture is going to form, and that oil is going to absorb it and try to hold it in suspension. But it can only do that to a certain point. And let's say people are changing their oil every 3,000 miles, but the car sits, and it takes three years to get 3,000 yeah. miles. <laughs> the oil can no longer hold that much moisture. And right. what I guess evades all this entire cycle is that when the car gets to full operating temperature, maybe an hour or more of driving, the oil temperature goes up above 212 degrees. So this moisture starts to boil. When it boils, it turns to steam. It rises up and the PC system sucks it out. Correct. So all is sort of self-cleaning from that perspective. That's why if you are driving a car hundreds of miles per trip, you can go out much longer on all changes. Sure. But people who do not do that. People who use little short trips. And generally the way that a car gets a lot of years without many miles is that it made a lot of little short trips. It just never was put out on the road and driven. Mm-hmm. Conversely, most cars that have a lot of miles relative to age probably had longer trips. Sure. Because it's unlikely that someone made just thousands and thousands of a little, little two, two or three-mile trips. Yeah, more likely the car belonged to a salesman or something, someone who... Maybe a couple who was taking a lot of vacations, they were out on the road a lot. That's a good, good thing. So that's not like the end-all, do-all thing, but a car with higher miles relative to the age is a good thing. Sure. 
and it brings the price down to a point where you can afford the car. You can afford a better car for less risk. Now, another thing that some people look at, if let's say you, your funds are limited, which okay. I guess a lot it, of people's are. Well, to one degree or another, everyone's funds are limited. And no one has just unlimited money. No one I know. <laughs> <laughs> but if you can buy a car, let's say the body is in rough shape. It's got a lot of dents and stuff like that. But mechanically, it it's may sound. still be sound. It's what I call an 80-20 car. Mm-hmm. It's got about 20% of its value, but it's got 80% of its life left. Right. Let's say someone has crashed the car, not serious collision where it bent the frame and everything, but they smashed up the headlights and the fenders right, and yeah. the hood, and they kind of rigged Hacked it back, it back together. together. That car may still be mechanically very sound. Sure. But because of the appearance of the car... You can get it at a reasonable price. Yeah, and these are folks who have to buy a car that is very low-priced. You know, we've got a lot of customers, be they students or just young people Mm -hmm. or maybe just people who their circumstances in life don't allow them to spend a great deal of money, and they're looking for a low-priced car. Now, when I'm saying low-priced car, basically today anything under $5,000 is considered a pretty low-priced car. Sure. Because if you start looking for cars, what you're going to find real, real quick is the majority of used cars are up in the fifteen to twenty thousand dollar range. Exactly. Because new cars are or in the fifty to sixty, fifty to sixty thousand yeah. dollar range. So it's not like the old days where five thousand dollars would buy you a cream puff, something really <laughs> ready to go. If you are in the range where you have to spend less than that, let's say you've got two or three thousand dollars, right? You're going to almost have to get a car. You have to compromise somewhere. Sure. And to compromise, I would say get one that, you know, like you were saying earlier, that doesn't look so well. Right. But it's mechanically sound. High mileage, maybe, and low years, or a car that's maybe faded out. One where something, you know, occasionally cars, the paint job is just not that good on Mm -hmm. it. And it'll start to peel. Looks like the devil. Right. But it may still be perfectly sound mechanically. And, you know, that's what you're looking for because... You know, if you don't have a lot of money, you have to kind of compromise somewhere. you got to compromise some pride. You can't drive around <laughs> a shiny new car. And you've got to remember, you know, you're buying this car because it looks the way it does. That's right. So it's not going to have a very good resale later on yeah. because it's still, it's still going to look that way. And, you know, anytime you buy a car probably in a $2,000, $3,000 range, you There's really not much not, resale yeah, you're not going to look them. at resale because you're getting pretty much the best deal you can get. And when the life a cycle of, of your use come it's, it's more or less going to be probably a push pull drag it off type thing i yep. mean you may find somebody who'll still buy it depending on what it is depending on what it is another way that you can get a pretty good deal on a car is to find a car that is not popular with the people who are willing to spend a lot of money on sure. cars for instance i used to always recommend the crown vic and the mercury marquee right because these cars did not have a lot of appeal to, to the young younger people. Crowd. The young guys, the young people want a Honda or a Toyota or whatever. A two-door sports a car. A two-door looking. sporty car of some sort. Right. And this car is a four-door considered a well, older person's car. Well, as my wife says, a Momo car. Momo car. <laughs> yeah, maybe one of the larger Buicks or something like that. Sure. It just doesn't appeal to the younger crowd. Who is the crowd who buys the majority of the cars nowadays? Right. It's also a crowd of folks who... For some reason, they just don't have the experience, life experiences. They're more likely to go and pay more than they should for a car, mm-hmm. which tends to run the market up. Older folks tend to be a little bit more savvy with their money because they've got life experiences, and 
you know, the prestige of driving a big fancy car just doesn't really appeal to them as much. Right. So this is a car that they may be able to buy. It's mechanically very sound. It's fairly low maintenance type of car, but yet because of what it is and the crowd that it appeals to, you, you can, can get, get a better deal on it. Sure. Now, if you're looking for like an SUV or a pickup truck, you're just not hardly going to find a really good deal on one of those. No, pickup trucks have kind of gone out of sight lately. Yeah, it's just so many people wanting them. We'll talk about that when we come back. Take a little quick break. Welcome. I am the great fondue, automobile fortune teller. Sit. I'm hoping you can tell me if I have any big car repairs looming in my future. Ah, I see you among many cars, stopping and going. Yeah, Baton Rouge traffic. Now you're making a left turn. Hands, ten and two. Nice form. Uh, thanks? Now you're stopped at a light. Look, you're just naming things I do every day. I want to know if my car is going to break down anytime soon. If you're hoping to gaze into your car's future, Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. Agco gives you an honest opinion on the maintenance needed to keep your car running and save you money on big repairs in the future. Great fondue, you should try another profession instead of a car fortune teller. Well, I was a mechanic at one of those quickie lube places, and believe me, I'm actually a better fortune teller. Well, that's scary. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. And we got Hernando's been patiently holding. Good morning, Hernando. Hey, good morning, Lewis and Brian. Great to hear you guys again. Well, thank good you. Good morning. Good morning. I'm calling uh, regarding my wife's car. It's a 2004 Camry, and I just had a problem. Maybe I'm not sure if you guys have uh, uh, dealt with it before, but oh. a few weeks ago, I was going to check the oil level on her car, and actually the dipstick, the very end of it, broke off. What happened is that the OEM one was uh, the knob to pull it was broken. So I tried getting an OEM one, but uh, it wasn't available. So I went with an aftermarket one. And I guess the very end of it, the mm-hmm. dipstick was plastic. And so for some reason, it broke off inside Okay, to know how to take it out. Well, Hernando, you could drop the pan, which is not too big of a deal on that one. There's a lower pan and an upper pan. Lower pan comes off fairly easy, maybe an hour, hour and a half worth of job. And I think it doesn't even have a gasket, if I'm not mistaken. It's RTV'd on. Of course, you lose the oil, so you might want to wait till you're about ready to do an oil change to do it. But on the other side of the coin, if you get a good OEM stick and it goes down in there and it works properly, you could technically leave that little end of the stick in the bottom of the pan. It could stay there. It's not going to harm anything because there's a screen on the pickup that that stick cannot go through. And it's going to just lay in the bottom of the pan. You know, the crankshaft and all is not going to pick it up because it's heavier than the oil. I've seen a lot of people just leave them in there. So, I mean, you got two ways to go. One is to drop the pan, get it out. The other is as long as it's not obstructing the passageway for the new stick, then you could elect to just leave it in there. Now, if you can't get the new stick in because it's caught in the end of the tube and wedged between that and the pan, then, of course, you have to repair it. Okay. But it's not something okay. that just has to come out if you can – you'll read the new stick without taking it out. It won't harm anything to stay in the pan. Okay, okay. I didn't know. I Mm -hmm. thought maybe it went somewhere else and maybe it was going to be a problem or there's no way to take it out. No. That's what I'm I'm calling you guys. No, no, it it shouldn't hurt anything. It'll just lay flat in the bottom of the pan. In fact, years ago, Ford had a little plug they used to put in their transmissions because when they shipped the transmission, there was no dipstick in it. 
And it was a little rubber plug with an O-ring that plugged that hole off. And when they would put the dipstick in at the factory, they would just shove it in, and the plug would fall into the pan. And it would just lay inside the pan. And when you did the first service, you would find this little piece in there. And people used to call all the time, oh, my God, I found this piece laying in the pan. What is it? Yeah. What Where is, is that from? In fact, if you go on my website, I got a picture of one of them. And it's just you know, it's just going to lay down the bottom of the pan. It's thicker than you all, so it's just going to kind of lay in place. And the screen. you got a screen or a filter. It's not going to go through or get into anything. So, you know, some people get really, really excited about that. I had a fellow that I forgot what had gotten in the pan of his car, and he was very concerned. It was a real big job to drop the pan, and he elected mm-hmm. to do it. And, I mean, after he had done it, he kind of said, you know, I really wish, <laughs> <laughs> really wish I'd have waited. Yeah. Yeah, so just check and see. As long as the new stick will go in, then I would just probably do that and just disregard okay. it. All right. You guys have time for a second question? You better. Sure. sure, go ahead. Oh, okay. I don't remember what the part is called, but on my 2005 Tundra, what's the part called above where the, the spark plug? Is it the boot or what is it called? Well, you got a coil, and, and then, then you got, got a boot on the coil. Okay, yeah, the... it's the coil. Mm-hmm. So when I got the truck, um, it had a misfire, and I ended up switching one of the coils. But when I replaced the spark plug a few months ago or mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, um, yes. I noticed that one of the coils on there is not OEM. It's like it doesn't even have a brand. It's just like generic. And I was wondering, is should, I mean, I have no problems with the truck at all, but if would you guys replace it for like a Denso, like a what the Toyota yeah. OEM one? Yeah, I mean, if it's, it's running, not, if it's running fine, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I would worry about it. I mean, not every okay. aftermarket part is bad. It's just a higher okay. percentage of them are bad, but occasionally you get a good one. And right. if it's working and the light's not on, I mean, you'll know pretty quickly if the call fails because the check engine light's going to pop on with a call circuit code. So you you have a fair amount of warning. Now, the thing is, if the light does come on and you've got a misfire code, you have to treat that immediately because driving with a misfire can damage the catalytic converter so that's not something you want to do but so long as you're prepared to change it out if and when it goes out i mean i wouldn't be too concerned about it okay yeah well i've had the truck for three years and it came like that with that coil so i've had no problems i mean i did have to i the truck came on with a bad catalytic converter when i bought it so i, I replaced that about a year ago mm-hmm. but it's had that same coil now for going on for three years uh, yeah. this month since i got the truck so it's, it's been fine well see in the original call it was bad may have gotten driven around and maybe what took the cat out and mm-hmm. they fixed the problem mm-hmm. but then that the problem was up later. the ancillary problem all righty yes all right well thank you very much for your guys time and uh, thank you for having the show thank you for having this resource you bet thank you thanks thank for, you for your time mm-hmm. Bye-bye. all right thank you guys have a great uh, day goodbye all right, two nine one sixty nine zero one. Hernando's out in California. So. All right. Now, somebody's called from London, England, and, and California, California. So that means if you're in Baton Rouge, you got no excuse. That's it. We're going to put pressure on you here. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go ahead and take our final little break and be right back with more. So, Madame Babushka, you can tell if my brand new bow and mirror are a good match? Yes. As I gaze into my crystal ball, I see him over a grill. And now he's on a couch watching football, eating a large plate of meat. Meat? Yes, no veggies. Now I see him on a boat, fishing, and then on a deer stand. Fishing and hunting? Yes, I'm afraid so. Wouldn't it be great if you could look into your car's future to see the road ahead? At Agco, you can. Take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. Ah, it looks like all this man wants to do is watch sports, hunt, fish, and grill. 
Oh, Madame Babushka, I love all those things. He sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Ah, c'est la vie. My work here is done. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you go and give us a call? We're talking a little bit about used cars and stuff. And you mentioned a car that has been wrecked and repaired. Right. Not necessarily a bad thing. Not necessarily. If, if it was repaired correctly. Mm-hmm. That is the key word. A lot of folks will buy a car at auction or whatever that's mm-hmm. been wrecked, and they'll kind of half put it back together, right. paint it, and it looks real nice on the outside. The underside's still damaged, and they'll try to sell it for top dollar. And they kind of give everybody else a bad reputation, right. I guess. If you can buy a car that an insurance company has totaled. There was a reason they totaled it. These are professionals. They look at cars every day. They're not throwing money away. Their jobs save money for the insurance company. If they elect it to total this car, it's because it couldn't economically be repaired correct not that it couldn't be repaired but economically speaking if the car is several years old it may not be worth the cost of repair right and if someone comes in and cuts enough corners to where they can not only repair the car but repair the car and then sell it at a profit a lot of times something could be missing there. sure incomplete welds the frame is still bent they just kind of pulled it out far enough to get the, the sheet metal to fit right rust proofing not restored right. things like that you want to look out for mm-hmm. and the average person buying a car doesn't have the wherewithal get underneath it and look around and even if they do there's a lot of things that if you're not, not see it right if you're not familiar with looking at these types of cars it could be missed mm-hmm. dead giveaway is a car with a salvage title sure and not every state does this but in louisiana as soon as the insurance company totals the car for any reason mm-hmm. be it because of a collision or because of flooding or whatever the title is marked salvage, salvage at that point correct then it's resold for parts or whatever now there are folks who buy these cars up and then go in and repair them and put them back on the market but that title will always have the word salvage own it correct if you look at a car and has a salvage title that is a huge huge red flag that means the car has been decided by an expert it couldn't properly be repaired for a feasible price somebody's bought the car right repaired it and now they're selling it supposedly at a profit because well, nobody does things just for and to I've, do it i've seen two cars of the same make model and every and one was wrecked in the front one was wrecked in the back mm-hmm. they cut both of them in half and welded two half two good halves back together right now if That's, that were done correctly and if everything you know in a perfect world a guy knew what he, what he was doing it may be a fine repair and it may be a opportunity to buy a car at a really good price sure so i'm not saying that oh my god just don't buy this but this is a car you want to buy well 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 below retail price Correct. number two is that when you get ready to sell this car even though you've owned it for x number of years it will still and always have a salvage title right once that vin number is labeled salvage that's it it stays with that vin number with that car for the rest of its use until it gets crushed fit to the crusher yeah whatever so this is a car that is never going to be worth what a car that had not been salvaged Would might be worth. be worth. I've seen cars salvaged that probably, in my opinion, shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. For instance, it's an older car, but is in excellent shape. And 
the insurance company just says, well, because of the age of the car, we've only got to pay this much money on a salvage. So they just total the car. The owner may elect to retain that car and repair it because he knows it's a good car. But the title will still be marked salvage. Once that insurance company decides the car has been salvaged and they paid off and you accepted that settlement. That's it. Yeah, the title to protect the public, the car is marked salvage. Could have been a fairly minor collision. And I know I had a gentleman who had a car he had bought new. It was an older car, but he had always maintained it very, very properly. Mm -hmm. Right. Gotten a relatively minor collision, but the car was declared salvaged. Because the age of the car. Because of the age. He went out, bought a front cap off of a used car, brought it to us. We checked the frame, made sure it was straight. He put the front cap on, had the car repainted. And he drove the car for another seven or eight years. Sure. Had zero problems because it was properly repaired at an economic price. When he got ready to sell the car, ironically, another customer bought it, and he saw the salvage title. He was very alarmed by uh-huh. it. And he brought it to us to get it checked. And I said, well, I can tell you I'll be glad to check it over for you, but I know the history on this car. Right. We put this car back together for right. the gentleman. And it's going to be just fine. Anyway, long story short, he bought the car. He's still driving it. Sure. So – it's not that it's been wrecked. It's the severity of the wreck and the repair. Yeah, mostly the way it was repaired because there are any number of ways. And, you know, there are some excellent, excellent collision shops out there, there are. that can, I mean, they can take stuff that you wouldn't believe and sure. put it back maybe even better than it was to start with. And then there's everybody else. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And unfortunately, we've seen a lot of wrecked cars over the years. Being in the chassis business, we straighten sure. frames and stuff. And a lot of the times, cars have lingering problems, so they end up at our shop. So I've seen just about every facet of the repair Yeah, every process. butchered process from cutting holes and putting new bolts and big washers well, you, you remember the one the apron was it was a front-wheel drive car and they had changed the whole entire apron the mm-hmm. strut tire and everything and they put it together with sheet metal screws yeah apparently it didn't have a welding machine because <laughs> they put about ten thousand little sheet metal screws yeah. in it and the whole car was wobbling oh just, yeah it was some kind of weird to drive not at all even safe to drive and my advice was take this car wash it real good and then crush it yeah <laughs> Because it's not even exactly. worth crushing right now, you know. Exactly. So you can get into a situation where the car, if it's repaired badly enough, it may be worse than if the car hadn't gotten in the wreck state, it probably and could have been repaired. Repaired properly. And in the industry, we refer to that guy as a butcher. Uh-huh. Butcher is someone who takes something that could have been repaired and by his malpractice, butchers it all up screws it to the point where it, it just can't be repaired anymore can't really be repaired at all anymore and that's happens a lot in collision where it can sure. happen in mechanical work oh, also. It does. you know we've had vehicles come in where someone had tried to put a timing belt on it and they had took a chisel and knocked the cam sprockets off scored, scored the up surface the of it trying to get the seals out sure now they're leaking all to beat the band. And there's no stopping it without changing the cam. Yeah, you're talking a couple of cams. They may have even messed up the cam. The Lasers. Little, yeah, the little area in the head that holds the seal in place. Mm-hmm. So you get one time to repair stuff really practically. And then after that, the cost really starts to go just astronomical. Right. Two places where we see that probably more than anywhere else, and it's because they are both fairly complex systems with a lot of interrelated parts that share common lubricants one is in an air conditioning system where if you go into an air conditioning system 
and halfway repair it. Let's say the compressor goes out. Well, the first thing you want to do is go get a rebuilt compressor and put on it. Sure. And they don't change the condenser. They don't change the filter dryer. They don't put oil in it. Yeah, maybe they put oil in it. Maybe they didn't. And the compressor that came probably has too much oil in it already. Right. The metal goes back through. Well, now you have the debris from two compressors in this system rather than one. So the problem is probably twice as bad as it was to start with. It's a sealed system. Nothing gets in, nothing gets out. So whatever's in there has to be almost sterile if you want this thing to hold up. And that's why air conditioner repair generally is fairly expensive the first time around. But if you think it's expensive the first time around. Try doing it twice. Yeah, try doing it twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really gets expensive yeah. then. It's like a guy told me once, if you think education is expensive, try ignorance. Uh-huh. <laughs> you had not seen anything yet. <laughs> the second one is on an automatic transmission. Right. Because if someone goes through an automatic transmission and screws up the valve body, they get the springs in the wrong places, they drill some holes out, whatever, most good shops are not going to even attempt to repair this again. Right. The best thing you can do is take this out, go get a replacement unit and put in it because this one is just so messed up that it would take us it would take us weeks just to try to figure out every possible thing they could have done wrong just to get it back to a state where we could rebuild it. Right. So a lot of the better repair shops are not going to fool a car that has been rebuilt somewhere else because they just don't know what all was done, what parts were put in there, what parts were left out, what kind of aftermarket parts were forced in there. I know they'll go into the valve body and drill out passages, which changes the characteristics of the entire transmission. And And those sorts of things just don't give a lot of specifications in service data because they assume all that is correct on a a normal transmission. That's not a part that wears out. It's not going to wear out. It's just somebody took it on himself to modify it. Sure. Or they'll take the springs out and cut them or they'll stretch Stretch them them, or whatever. And you don't have specifications on all that stuff or a way to really test it. So a brand new valve body is the only way to go. And that could be 900 to to $1,000 just for the part. So pretty soon you've inflated the cost of the repair just way beyond the worth of the transmission. Exactly. You take it out and get you a, a new unit and put it in there and be done with it. Mm-hmm. So these are, are the way those go. And it's sort of like what we were talking about earlier with the wrecked car. You can get a car that has been seriously wrecked and poorly repaired it's just way, way less expensive to find an exact same model that hasn't been through all that, pay a few more dollars up front, and go ahead and get a good example of what you want. Sure. Last week, we talked a little bit about falling in love with a certain car. I really don't advise that. I don't advise emotions at all when it comes to cars because a car is not like selecting a wife or selecting a pet or something that's going to love you and that you're going to love back. A car is just a mechanical device. That's it. It doesn't love you. Nope. <laughs> you might mm-hmm. think it has a personality, but it doesn't. <laughs> it really doesn't care. And the way that you deal with a car is that you put the least amount of money out for it, you maintain it properly, and you keep it for the longest period of time you can. Correct. But my goal in life is go from point A to point B for the lowest amount of money possible. And if I fall in love with a car, oh, my God, I've just got, got to, to have, have a, this one, yeah. a bright yellow Volkswagen convertible. Well, that's going to limit my selection of all the other cars. Right. And I find one that I like a whole lot. It kind of blinds me to the fact this car is not in good shape or not has not been well-maintained or whatever. But it's yellow and it's a convertible Volkswagen. That's right. And that's the one I want. It's got just the kind of radio I want in there or, or whatever it might uh-huh. be. I know when I was a photographer many, many years ago, we used to always, if we had a dossier of photos, we would let other people look at them and pick the best ones. And 
before you display them because a photographer will fall in love with, with the a, picture. With that, a pose. And, well, the right. one that took the most work to, to put together. Uh-huh. I know how much lighting and how many scribs and this and that and the other I put into this photo, how many times I changed the lens. So I have a vested interest in thinking this is the best photo because technically it was the most difficult photo to make. To make. But it's not nearly about the best photo that I took. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the one that I just walked up and shot and got lucky might be the best one. Right. So it's always wise to let someone else look at your work. And same thing with a used car. It's wise to pay a professional to evaluate this car for you before you make your selection. Somebody with experience, especially experience in those cars, right. that type of car. And the key is you know, before you buy it. Correct. Don't, don't do this after you buy it. I see we're just about out of time. Start winding this thing on up. Like thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and go to the broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find a written review and fill it out for us. There you go. That'll move us up in the rankings. More people can listen. We can keep doing the show. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. <laughs>